of a four-part series. We made it. You made it. We are here. Um, in our life, As uh, if you're anything like me, if I take it as it comes, if I just take life and I just roll with it, I've said that many times, um, let me ask this. Have you heard this one? If you were at home, uh, which you are, um, would, you, <laughs> would you fill in the blank out loud to this phrase? Okay, I'm going to give you the first part. Will you fill in the blank? Um, fly by the... I know, you know this it? one. <laughs> I want to say it again in case you didn't hear me. Fly by the seat of my shorts. Oh, I heard pants. Well, I, I, wear, I don't wear You're wearing pants. shorts. I, wear shorts. I see. So, You're making it very applicable yeah, for you today. I, I, I like to be applicable. To fly by the seat of your pants. When I fly by the seat of my, my pants, here's a result. Um, I'm going to have more to carry than I can actually carry. If that's the way I approach my life or my day, I'm going to have more to carry than I can carry. Um, because I didn't plan it, and when I don't plan for it, I don't carry it very well. So I'm going to have more to carry than I can carry, and I'm going to have to carry it further than I really have to, because I'm flying by the seat of my pants, because I'm going to be zigzagging, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to circle back, I'm going to have to backtrack, it just... The take it as it comes, for me, this is it. I'm going to have to carry more than I can carry, and I'm going to have to carry it further than I have to. And, Cole, I'll just be honest. For me, that sounds frustrating, and it also sounds very miserable. Well, and it, and it really, it almost sounds like trying to live life by lottery. You know, it, try, it sounds like trying to live your life by whim, uh, or maybe by luck of the draw, by impulse, um, you know, just kind of all over the place, right? It just seems like we're trying to, in that context, trying to live our life all over the place. It's real similar even to me in what we talked about in week one where we're trying to live our life one-handed with emotions and feeling and not putting God's truth as kind of the steadying aspect of driving our life. Um, you know, we, we, we all have hopes and dreams. Everybody has hopes and dreams. Now, the thing that differentiates is we have different hopes and dreams, but we always all have hopes and dreams. Whether we're talking about in our career, if we're talking about in our relationship, if we're talking about in our finances, we all have hopes and dreams, things that we would like to accomplish. We find ourselves where we are today, and then we look forward to where we would like to see ourselves in the future. We can all relate to that. I think that's a human emotion, a human experience that we all have. But to kind of give you an example of the opposite of how to get to that, I, I, I want to use an example of trying to get to the happiest place on earth, which right now is not really because it's empty, but uh, Walt Disney World. And my wife's going to love this. She's going to appreciate Beth, you're going to appreciate this analogy, I think. Um, Walt Disney World. So if we're trying to get to Walt Disney World, we're talking the literal location, the physical location in Orlando, Florida, of Walt Disney World, and we're just going to drive there the way we feel like, when we feel like it, how we feel like it, and we're just going to really kind of take things as they come, we're probably going to have a hard time hardly getting there because Disney World is a very specific place, and it requires very specific directions to get there. But if we drive trying to get to that eventual location of Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, just kind of taking it as it comes and living by the luck of the draw and not really following a set of instructions or following a plan, following a roadmap, so to speak, we're probably going to end up anywhere except Orlando, Florida. Yeah, Disney World. I think so. I think we can say that living by lottery um, would be a whole lot like living life by spin the bottle. Right. And so if I'm but, trying to get... Whew, I'm glad that did not <laughs> point this direction. Um, if, so if I'm, if I'm trying to get to Disney World and I'm just going to spin the bottle and say I'm going to go that direction, right. I'm going to take it as it comes, I, I don't think I'm going to be very right. successful. Um, in fact, I know I'm not. Living by lottery or by whim or we can say even by impulse will mean that we're only going to have success by accident. Right. 
and usually never if that's the case. Step four on how to blow your life is pretty simple. Let's just live our life by impulse. No planning necessary. Just take things as it comes and uh, don't, by all means, don't plan ahead. If you are anything like me, and I would like to think I'm pretty average, I'm pretty typical. If you're anything like me, we don't have to teach that. That pretty much, we, we come equipped with that ability. That's kind of ingrained in our DNA. So this morning, instead, what we're going to do, we want to kind of give you an example of looking further and farther down the road. And we want to give you an example of determining where you want to go and how we then can use God's wisdom to head that way and how we can use God's wisdom to head in that direction. Yes. Um, so in order for us to do that this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to, in order for us to kind of look forward, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go backwards. We're going to look backwards about 400 years before Jesus was born. So let me give you the setting of where we're going to be. Um, kind of the buildup to that is that God had this uh, contract with Israel. It was called a covenant. And God said, if you will follow me and follow me alone, just me, then I will protect you, Israel. I will bless you, Israel. But if you begin to follow other gods and to stray away from me, God said, I'm going to allow you to be defeated, and I'm going to allow those people who defeat you to take you away and to hold you captive. But when that happens, I'm going to allow you to come back to this promised land at a certain point in time. Well, all of that did happen, just the way God said. And so we're picking up this story now after they were allowed to go back home after this captivity. And they began rebuilding, they began a whole process of rebuilding Israel. But not everybody went home. Many folks stayed behind. We don't really know why, but this is where we pick up the story. Right. So, um, and to give you kind of the actual geographical location where we're talking about, we are going to be located in the opulence of the Persian Empire, right in the, the capital of the Persian Empire, which geographically, that's really, if you want to talk about the center of the Persian Empire, that would be present day the country of Iran. Uh, kind of in, in that general location. If you're a geographically minded person, then we're talking about kind of in the area that is present day, the country of Iran. And it's a vast kingdom. It is huge. In fact, probably geographically, maybe the largest geographical kingdom that's ever existed. Maybe Rome in the first century was its equal, but very possibly this is the biggest geographical kingdom that's ever existed. And it was ruled by a man by the name of Darius. And now his son is on the throne. His son's name is Xerxes. Now, um, to pull a little bit of popular culture out, if you guys remember just a few years ago, there was a couple of movies that came out. One was called 300 and one was called The Rise of the 300. A couple of movies, pretty popular. Uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning actually happened almost probably within five years or so of the events of those movies. Now, please understand, those movies, Hollywood took a huge amount of, of liberties with those movies. The basic history was accurate, but a lot of that stuff didn't happen. But the geograph or excuse me, the historical timeline, what we're talking about this morning happened within about a five-year period of those, those movies that we understand now in popular culture. So King Xerxes is on the throne of the Persian Empire. He is full of wealth, he is full of power, and he is without question full of himself. Uh, and he throws a six-month-long party for the important people in his kingdom. And at the end of the six-month party, he's then going to follow that up with a seven-day party just for the men in his, uh, in his kingdom, and really specifically in his, uh, in his court. And the queen is going to also throw a party for the women in the court. So we're going to have these two separate parties, men over here and women over here. And it's just kind of an interesting tidbit of history. Uh, historians, biblical historians, they kind of dovetail here, and they think it's very possible that this party is very likely Xerxes' reaction, kind of him licking his wounds following his defeat, 
at the Battle of Salamis, which is what that whole 300 and Rise of the 300 is about. It's very possible that Xerxes has just been defeated by the Greeks, and he comes home, and he's just kind of beside himself, and he's kind of trying to cheer himself up. That's kind of beside the point. But that's the background. That's the historical context and geography of what we're talking about. So on the last day of this party that Xerxes throws, he's got all the dudes in his household. They're together. They're having this party, and Xerxes is... He's inebriated, he's drunk, he's, he's hammered. And he, he, he calls for his wife. Now his wife was, uh, she was very beautiful, and he wants his wife to leave the party that she's throwing for the ladies and to come in and to stand before all the men and basically for the purpose of showing all the men that's in his party just how beautiful she is. She's beautiful, she's mine, and look at what I've got. And the queen's like, no, I'm not doing that. I, I don't think so. Now, you can read all about this in the, in the Scriptures. We're kind of just telling the story right now. It's all in Scripture, and we would encourage you, go read about this after we get finished this morning. But the queen, her name was Vashti. She says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm repul she was repulsed by it. She refuses to do it. And as punishment, the queen, get, uh, excuse me, the king, King Xerxes, gets together with his wise men, and they decide that as punishment, the queen is no longer going to be queen. She's actually going to be sent away, and they need a new queen. So Xerxes has to find a new queen. Well, how, what's the best way for the king of the most powerful empire in the world to find his new queen? Well, obviously, it has to be a beauty pageant, because that's... That's, that's the way we have to do that, and, and that's the way they're going to do it. They're going to hold a nationwide beauty pageant. Now, when I say nationwide beauty pageant, I don't want you to get the idea of, like, you know, a small nation. We're talking about a nationwide beauty pageant that basically spans from the foothills of the Himalayan mountains all the way across North Africa. This is a massive geographical empire that is the Persian Empire. And all of the unmarried ladies in this empire are basically, they say, hey, come on. See if you can be the next queen. This is basically, this is like the bachelor ancient history style. I mean, this is what this is. This is the bachelor. And it is at this moment that we have two new players that kind of are, they step on the scene and, and their names are Mordecai and his adopted orphaned cousin whose name is Esther, and they are both Jews who are living in the Persian Empire, living in this general area that have stayed behind, and they're exiled in Persia. And there's a whole lot of other Jews there with them, and so Esther, she kind of advances through this beauty competition, and she ends up in the palace living with all the other single ladies. All the single ladies. I knew you were going to do that. All the single ladies. Yes. yes. <laughs> so there now, Mordecai and Esther—they're not going to just wing it. They are going to be ready. The planning begins. They're not just taking things as it comes. They are actually beginning to plan. And Mordecai tells Esther as she's leaving to go live in the palace. He tells her, "Don't tell anyone that you're a Jew." And she doesn't know why he says this. And at that time, we don't know why, but we just know that this planning is going on. And Mordecai actually checks in on her daily at the palace. He may not get to speak to her, but he gets to speak to somebody about her to check with her. Now, what is she doing at the palace? At the palace, she is placed in a one-year spa. <laughs> I mean, she is getting special, one-of-a-kind spa treatment for one entire year so that she can be made ready for a date night with the king. Now, Esther is watching things happen around her. She's listening. She is, she is planning on how she's going to approach this and what she's going to do. And she is listening out of her plan to people that the king trusts. And so Esther's watching, and she's listening. She's planning and she's planning in advance to say, I I'm going to follow the suggestion of these people that the king trusts. Now, her date with the king finally arrives. And she follows her plan, and she follows the advice of the man who is in charge of all of the king's dates. And the next day after her date with the king, she becomes a wife 
of the king, and she's added to all the other wives. So she moves into the penthouse somewhere with all the other wives. Now, for the king, it appears what we see in the book of Esther, that this was love at first sight, and very soon this king makes Esther his one and only queen. Right, so as we, we, we kind of jump forward a little bit, and we kind of change scenes a little bit. So now Esther, she's the, she's the, she's the main queen. She is the, uh, she's the one at the top. She's the top at the ladder. And so we jump back to Mordecai, and Mordecai gets a new job. Now, we, we don't exactly know how he gets the job. We, we have to believe Esther probably has something to do with it. Um, the connection between Esther and Mordecai is not really known at the time, we, we don't think. Uh, we, we know it as readers. We know it as readers, but it's kind of the that king the king know doesn't know it. But we think somehow Mordecai, he gets a new job working for the king, and it's a really good job. We know that for two reasons. One, because we find out later that Mordecai is sitting in the gate of the city, which is a very um, uh, prestigious job. And the second reason that we know it's a very, very, very prestigious job that Mordecai received is because of this that we're going to talk about right now. We find out that Mordecai overhears two other employees of the king, a couple of, well, they were really gangsters. Yeah. yeah in fact, th their names are gangster <laughs> names. They're, they're big Fanta and T-Resh, right? So they've got these awesome gangster names. And um, he hears big Fanta and T-Resh, Go to the Bible. Seriously, it's right there. It's in black and white. And big T. Big T. I mean, and we've got little T here this morning. Big T is we got little T and little little T actually yeah. here this morning. And big T and 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 um and T Resh, they're gonna kill the king. They're gonna plot to kill the king, and Mordecai hears about it. So to have these two individuals who are going to be in close enough proximity to kill the king tells us that they would have been very high up on the ladder. Therefore, for Mordecai to be close to them tells us that he would have probably had to have been. So this is a prestigious job that Mordecai received. So he hears about this, immediately he tells Esther, and then Esther goes and tells the king, and she gives Mordecai credit. Now, really, right now, that just kind of looks like a footnote right on history. It's going to come back later and be pretty important. But for now, Mordecai gets the credit. The king finds out. The king does what the king does in Persia. What that means, if you're going to kill the king and you get caught, that basically means, okay, let's go sharpen a couple of poles. Let's go put Big T and t Resh on the, the sharpened poles, and let's pretty much just execute them that way. That's another way of saying we're going to impale them. You yeah. know, that's some Vlad Impaler stuff going on there. And we're going to execute them. And so Mordecai and Queen Esther, this is a great example. They had a life plot. They had a plot. They, they had a life plot that was very clearly led by God. They knew where they were headed. They knew the direction that they were going. They knew their life story. And even though, Harley, they may not have known all of the details of their life story and the plot and where they were headed, they may, they may not have known the details. They knew the plot of where they were headed. Yeah, they knew kind of the big picture. The big picture, And yeah. so they were planning, with God's help, planning a plot, a, a story for their life. And we just want to pause for just a moment and, and say that God has for you, for Cole and for me individually, for you individually, every member of your family, God has something for your life. He has a purpose. He, and he desires that you enter into this life and that you go discover this purpose that God has for you. And so we're calling it a plot, like a storyline, like the plot of a movie, your story, your life story, your plot just for you. And I believe, based upon Scripture, that we can work with God to discover that plot that he has for us so we can plan our plot, and I'm encouraging you, Cole is encouraging you this morning, to plan your plot. With God's help, plan the story 
of you. Now, let's go back to the story. So now we're going to have entering the bad guy of the story, and he is going to try to destroy this plot that God has developed with Mordecai and Esther, their life plan. This guy wants to destroy it. Now, his name is, is Haman. Now, if we have any kids uh, listening in your families this morning, here's what I want you to do. Yeah, this is their moment. Every time you hear us say the word Haman, this guy, the bad guy's name, if you're a child or you have a childlike heart like, like I do right. and you want to participate, that's okay too. But kids, every time you hear us say Haman, I'm going to ask you to boo. boo. Or, or maybe even yeah, boo, boo, thumbs down, boo, Haman. Haman's and, the bad guy. Yeah, somebody in your family take a picture of that and get that to us this week. We want to see the kids booing boo. Haman. Yeah. So Haman enters into this story, and he wants to destroy the life plot, the life story of Mordecai and Esther. And Haman just got a promotion. So Haman jumps above Mordecai, jumps above all these other people, even above Mordecai. Haman gets a position where he is now the most powerful leader in the country, in the entire country. From border to border, he's right under the king. Right. So he was so powerful. He had such a high position that... In fact, everyone in the Persian Empire was supposed to bow down to Haman. Boo! Okay, hopefully everybody did that. We'll try that again. Everyone was supposed to bow to Haman. All right, there we go. Somebody's participating. And uh, they, basically, they were supposed to somewhat worship Haman. <laughs> I won't pause anymore. Um, but Mordecai wouldn't do it. Mordecai would not do it. He, he was Jewish. He, was, he, he said, you know, I can't do that. Uh, and as a result, Haman absolutely hated Mordecai. Now, that word hate, we throw it around very, very, very loosely. I, I, even me, I do it way too much. We're going to find out that Haman, he hated Mordecai. He really, really did. So Haman, and the, the Scripture, we don't know how, but Haman discovers that Mordecai is a Jew. Now, it's important to note, he doesn't make the connection between Mordecai and Esther. Now, we know, as Harley said, but Haman never makes the connection, but he finds out Mordecai is a Jew. And so what he does is, kind of like what Mordecai and uh, Esther were doing, he kind of has a plan as well. He's got a plot and a plan, and he's working it as well. He goes to the king, he goes to Xerxes, and he tricks the king into allowing Haman to set an execution date for all of the Jews on a very specific day, a year from, from that date. Now, it didn't hurt that he also offered the king about 375 tons of silver. That, that kind of lubricated the wheels of progress, we might say. But he, he gets the king to, uh, to say all Jews, without even the ability to defend themselves, can be killed with no fear of repercussion, no fear of punishment on this specific day a year from now. Basically a death sentence. Basically a death sentence for the Jewish culture. It practically could have annihilated an entire culture across the entirety of the Persian Empire. What is the Persian Empire? Practically the entirely, entire known world, at least in the east. Of course, it hadn't crossed over into the west yet because of again, the Battle of Salamis. We can't get into that right now. We'll talk. If you're a historian, next time we're together, we'll talk about that. But um, so Haman tricked Xerxes into doing this. And so this is very, very significant. Basically, again, from the foothills of the Himalayas all the way across North Africa. And the king will allow Haman to proceed. He says, okay, let's do that. So the death day is going to be announced. And it's going to be one year from the day. So Mordecai and Esther, they are devastated but they have already planned their plot they have planned with God's help their life story and so now they have to do the next step so they've planned their plot but now they have to plot a plan develop a plan Mordecai has to get Esther, has to get with Esther so they can go ahead and begin this planning process. They have one year before this 
death day happens. Mordecai gets a message to Esther. So he's in communication with her. He told her about the plot. He told her what was coming up, the plan, that they, this death day. And then he asked Esther this great big question. He says, Esther, will you talk to the king? And will you plead for him to spare all of the Jews? Now, Esther knows something. She knows that anyone who enters into this inner court of the king without him summoning them, asking them to come, if they just walk in, there is a huge chance that he will have that person, no matter who they are, he will have that person killed. Ooh, this is a big deal. If the king were to raise his scepter and bring them on the end, there's a good chance they'll be accepted. But if he does not, they're going to be killed. That's going to happen. Doesn't matter who they are. And so Esther sends a message back to Mordecai, and she reminds Mordecai of this not-so-small problem. And in fact, um, she has not even seen the king for about a month, so this makes it even more tenuous. Right, so uh, she sends this message back to Mordecai and says, I'm just saying I haven't seen the king for a month. We may not be on the best of terms. May not be a great idea. So Mordecai is going to send a message back to Queen Esther, and we find it in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, and I'll paraphrase a little. He basically says, okay, I get it, but I'm just saying if you don't do anything here, God's going to find a way to deliver the Jews. I know he's, he's going to find a way. But he says, and this is where we jump in, verse 14. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. He says, Esther, basically, think about your purpose. Think about, think about your, your future. Think about the future. Esther, what we've been talking about this morning, plan your plot. That's why God kind of has you in this position. I mean, who would have ever thought that you would find yourself in a position to be able to influence the most powerful person on earth, and yet, here you are. That's why God has you here, Esther. Plan your plot. This is your great purpose. Now, you're here. You have your purpose. You have your plot. You have the the plot to the movie, we see it unfolding around us as the reader, even. Now, Esther, go plot your plan. Go make a plan. Don't just see what happens and take it as it comes. Don't just say, oh, God will God'll work it out. It's going to be okay. I have faith that God's going to make it happen and He's going to work it out. He will. We know He will, but... Mordecai says to Esther, don't just leave it at that. Esther, you're there for the purpose. Go plot your plan. Don't just take it as it comes. Go make a plan. And so this is what she does. In Esther chapter 4, verses 15, 16, and 17, this is what it says. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So basically, Esther said, God, God helped me plan my plot. He helped me plan the future, the upcoming story of my life. Again, I like the analogy of the movie, the movie plot. He, he helped me plan that plot for the, the, the movie that is my life, the upcoming story of my life, where my life is headed. He helped me do that. He put me into this position that I find myself in today. Now, we've got to plot the plan to get where we need to go tomorrow. And I've got to have God's leadership. I've got to have His wisdom. I've got to have His strength. And I've got to have His power to be able to get there because I can't get there on my own. I'm where I am today because of God and if I'm going to get where I need to be tomorrow, it's also going to be because of God. Because plotting a plan to get there, it really means asking a huge, huge question. And I think, Harley, this may be the big question this morning. 
We, we, we always talk about our bottom line, and, and our bottom line's great this morning, but I think this question, this may be yeah. the big question this morning, which from, from a perspective of God's wisdom, and, and, and from maybe the perspective of Esther, from the perspective of God's wisdom, this is the question that Esther would have asked, and this is really the question that we ask, this is the question that I would hope that everyone would ask, from God's perspective of wisdom and leadership. In light of my future hopes and dreams, where I'm at today, in light of my future hopes and dreams, where I want to be tomorrow and beyond, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Yeah, right now, what is that? And Esther developed that plan with God's help, and she said, this is what I want you to do. I want you all, and I'm going to join in with the folks in, in around me. She, she said, I want you to fast and pray for three solid days. Seek God's wisdom. What is it that we need to do? Seek God's help. How are we going to do this? What is the plan? How do we get to that story in the plot? What is the plan? So how do we get to his plan? And if we're going to do that, we need his strength. And so she's saying, let's fast and pray. Let's, let's get God's help in, uh, in to do this and move ahead. Now, on the very last day of her fast and everyone's fast, she is now ready. The plan is in place. We don't know it all. We're going to hear it as we go. But the plan is in place, and she's ready to move forward. So with God's help, they uh, plotted the the, the plan where uh, they uh, plan the plot, they plan the story of her, and now with God's help, they have plotted the plan. Here is the plan we've developed with God's help to get to that story. On the last day, she's ready, and here's what happens. She knows that she may die, but she's going to move forward anyway. With God's help, this has happened, this has take, taken place. She's going to step forward. Esther steps into that forbidden inner court of the king. So we can hear the music intensifying in this story in our mind. And the question is, is she going to live or is she going to die? Because he'll kill anyone he chooses to, no matter who they are. She sees the king. The king sees her. He raises the scepter. There's a little positive. We're not sure yet, though. He invites her closer, maybe just to kill her, I don't know. He invites her closer. Her heart is racing, I can only imagine, probably feeling faint and lightheaded. And she kisses the scepter, and the king now speaks. Here we go. Here's what he says. What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half of the kingdom She's going to live. <laughs> Relief, because she's going to live. So she's kind of made it past hurdle number one. The first monster along the way has been tackled and has been defeated. She's going to live. And her plan is going to continue. So she's already planned it out. She's already got the steps of the plan figured out, and she thinks she knows with God's wisdom how she's going to do it. Step one, check. So the plan continues, and she's ready because, again, she's planned with God's help. And verse 4 tells us that Esther replies to, to King Xerxes. Uh, she says, if it please the king, let the king and Haman, there we go, and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. So all she does is invites King Xerxes and his second in command to a banquet that she has prepared. Just the three of them. It's going to be a small intimate gathering so they have the banquet they get together they come into the chambers of the queen they have the banquet and at the banquet the king asks the exact same question to esther he says what do you want and again he gives the same opportunity up to half of the kingdom if i'm esther i'm afraid i might have been like you know what i can have a change of plan here i can go a different direction half of persia sounds really nice and queen esther says Again, I'm going to invite you to a second banquet. She actually says, instead of making the big ask at this banquet, um, she's actually going to invite King Xerxes and Haman to a second banquet. Now, we don't know why the second banquet. We have no idea. Was it part of the plan? Did she just need a little bit more nerve? And I, I just want to add in here, Cole, because... 
sometimes when we have been planning with God and following him, our decision may not make sense to everyone mm-hmm. else, just like this. It may not make sense. But she's on God's plan right. here. Right, we don't know. We yeah. have no idea. Yeah. So, it may not make did, sense to them. Did she, in that meal, feel like they needed a little more softening? We don't know. We have no idea. We just know that this is part of the process. This is the story that we have been given. So, she invites King Xerxes and Haman to a second banquet, and it's going to be on the next day. And so, she says, um, at this second banquet... King, I'm going to explain everything to you. I'll tell you what this whole thing's about. Esther chapter 5, verse 9. Then we kind of switch, uh, switch perspectives a little bit. Instead of looking at it from Esther's perspective, now we look at it from the bad guy's perspective. And it says in verse 9, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. Why wouldn't he be? I mean, think about it. Put yourself in his position. He has just been invited to a banquet where the only other people were the king and the queen of the most powerful empire on earth. And he was, in his mind, because this man is full of himself, in his mind, he's the guest of honor. Not the king, not the queen, him. And he has just been in the presence of, in his mind, greatness, which makes him too By request. By request. They wanted him there. Haman left, and he was a happy man. But when, and, and this is so amazing, how fickle is Haman's, Happiness. Happiness. And how fickle is his character. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. Furious. Instant anger. And it goes on in verse 10. Feeling an emotion. Yeah, feeling an emotion. (laughs) He's there. In verse 10 it says, However, he restrained himself and he went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and uh, Zeresh, his wife, and they boasted to them, he boasted to them about how uh, he is so great and he's wealthy and he has all these children. It says he, he bragged about the honors that the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Verse 12, then Haman added, and that's not all, Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet that she prepared for us and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow in other words hey i've got a standing reservation here verse 13 then he added ah but this is all worth nothing as long as i see mordecai the jew just sitting there at the palace gate. And his wife and his friends give Haman some of the, if not worst advice that has ever been given by a wife and friends in the history of the world. I mean, it was bad advice, folks. And, and let me just for a moment, and I've, I know we've we're, we got to go quick. I know this. If you need to go take a bathroom break, feel free. It's okay. But I, I, turn, turn the TV up. It's okay. But I need to say this. This is a true story. This happened, and it's in the Old Covenant. Wow. What we're about to talk about, you can't make this up. This is awesome stuff. What an awesome movie this makes. Unbelievable. So as we jump in, his wife and his friends, they say to Haman, you know what you ought to do, Haman? You're right. You're the man, by the way. I just want you to know. You're the man. You are it. Here's what you should do. You should take a 75-foot-tall pole. So imagine, if you will, like one of the taller electrical poles, maybe. You take a 75-foot-tall pole, and you should sharpen the end of that pole. And you should put it in your yard, and you should, in the morning, you should go get Mordecai, that Jew. You should go get Mordecai, and you should stick him on that pole, impale him, kill him, execute him, get that done in the morning, and then head on over to the queen's house. Have your banquet, and you'll feel all better. Now, some other translations say, uh, call them gallows. That's probably not accurate. It's probably, the, the sharpened pole was actually the, more cho- the chosen method of execution for the Persians. Um, so that's, the, that's, that's what Haman gets. That's his advice. Pick your friends and your wife wisely. So that's his advice. And Haman's like, you know what? You're right. That's a good idea. That's what he does. And so that's what he does. Overnight, 
Haman has a 75-foot sharpened pole erected in his yard. And irony of ironies, that very same night, or maybe I should say providence of providence, on that very same night, the king Xerxes, that other guy that's part of our story, he is having a hard time sleeping. We've all been there. I had a hard time sleeping last night. A lot of it had to do with my eight-year-old kicking me in the back. But he was having a hard time sleeping. And he woke up, and or never maybe went to sleep, and he called for his attendant and he said, um, I'm having a hard time sleeping. What I'd like you to do, I'd like you to get the book of histories of my reign. Because a guy like Xerxes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to say, I want you to tell me about all the really awesome stuff I've done. And he has his attendant read to him all the things that has happened in his reign. It might be the equivalent of if you've ever been to the Clinton Library and you go into that room that has all the volumes of basically President Clinton's days over his eight years in office. You know, and it says, you know, day, you can go and look on April 4th, 1994, and it says President Clinton was in Charlotte, North Carolina to watch the Arkansas Razorbacks beat the Duke Blue Devils 76-72 to win the national championship. Thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's basically what it was. So, um, and that's what he does. And while... He, he does that, and so the attendant, it just happens that it falls open, the book falls open to the page where Mordecai saved the king's life over Big T and T-Resh, those gangsters. And the king says, oh my gosh, forgot about that. You know what? I never rewarded Mordecai. I mean, goodness, he saved my life and I never rewarded him. So if we flash forward then to the next morning, we flash forward to the next morning. Haman, the very arrogant Haman, he comes in the next morning, he comes to the king, King Xerxes, because even Haman can't do something like this without the king's permission. He comes in to King Xerxes, and before he can even get a word out, Xerxes says, hang on just a second, Haman. I, I have a question I've got to ask you first. Um, let me ask you a question. If, if you were going to reward the most valuable person in the kingdom what would you do? What should I do? And Haman's like, oh, baby. I mean, he's talking about me. He's got to be talking about the H-man, right? So Haman's thinking, okay, this is my moment. This is it. I was born for this moment. I've been training for this moment right now. So he says to the king in Esther chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, this is what Haman says. He says, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square of the king's horse on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Yeah, and the king is like, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Let's do that. And he's like, yeah, we should do that for me. And he says, let's do that for Mordecai. Wow, wow, wow. So Haman had to do all of that himself for Mordecai, the person he hated. Instead, instead of seeing Mordecai thrust upon that, uh, what did you call it, that sharpened pole. Sharpened pole. He had to do all of this for Mordecai. Wow. And as soon as it is over, he strolls him through the town shouting, this is what the king does for people he wants to honor. As soon as that was over, Haman is then carried off by the king's men to go to that banquet with Esther. Now Esther, she is ready for this next step in her plan. Because with God's help, she has planned this plot, and then with God's help, she plotted, developed a plan, and it's at this banquet now that the king once again asks a third time, what do you want? What do you want? And I, I'm going to give you anything. What do you want? And here's what we read in Esther chapter 7, verse 3. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king, and if if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. So she tells King Xerxes the plan to kill all of the Jews, and then she actually tells the king that she herself is also a Jew. So practically she says to the king, there's a plot to kill me. You're queen. You're, 
You're the love of your life. There's a plan to kill me. And then the king naturally says, who, who would do something like this? And then you've just got to know at this banquet, Haman's just over in the corner and sweat. You just know sweat has to be profusely running down. I mean, he's already had a bad morning. He's already had a rough day. And sweat has to be profusely. He has to have the pit stains. He, he's, he's struggling, you know, or maybe he's eating faster. I don't know. But Esther, it's like this is the moment. This is like the climax of the movie. She just drops the hammer. I don't know how she did it exactly, but you know there was some theatrical license probably taken, and she's like, him, Haman, that wicked man right over there. And the king, the king in no uncertain terms tells Haman, yeah, you're going to die. That, that's, that's a done deal. And then the king's attendant, the same one that probably was reading uh, the history and, and the whole Mordecai deal and, and all of that the night before, he says, hey, king, great news. We can, we can make this a Texas-style execution. We can send him through quick. Here's what we've got. Haman put up a 75-foot sharpened pole in his yard just last night. And the king said, perfect. Let's use it. It hasn't been used. And they executed Haman on the very pole that Haman had intended to execute Mordecai on that very morning. And the history writer of the book of Esther tells us over the next three chapters, he tells us, um, he describes to us how Queen Esther um, will continue to save her people time after time after time from death. Uh, and it's all because Queen Esther takes her life and she takes her future, she takes it to God and she takes it to God to plan a plot. And where is her life headed? Where is her story headed? Um, where is she going to end up? She doesn't just leave it to chance. She doesn't just leave it to lottery. She doesn't just leave it to go wherever it wants to go without any type of instruction or any type of direction. She takes it to God and says, I want to be, this is where God wants me to be, and this is what I have to do to get there. And then, after she knows the plot, after she knows the idea or the general storyline that she is supposed to follow, she plots the plan to get there. And to get that plan, just like what we talked about a few minutes ago, she has to do the wise thing and she has to ask that wise question that I think is the most important question that we're going to talk about today and we're also going to talk about Wednesday night. In light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of where I'm at today, right now, and where I need to be and where God wants me to be tomorrow and in my future, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? Yeah, so for us this morning, what does that mean for us? What, what are we going to do with all of this great movie-style history that we talked about this morning? What are we going to do with this? Well, here's our encouragement this morning. Will you first plan your plot? We're going to ask you this week, will you begin talking to God, have a conversation with God, and will you ask Him, God, what is my purpose? God, what do you want me to become? What is this great story for my life, God, that you want to create? Where do you want me to end up in this story? What are my God-given future hopes and dreams. We want you to have a conversation with God about this week. We ask you, will you pray this week and talk to God? Will you fast if you have to to get this information? Talk to God and plan that plot with God's help, that story of where God wants you to be, your future story. Because no matter what is going on in your life right now, God could take you to an amazing important, purpose-filled future for you as part of his plan for your life. Will you talk to God and discover your purpose? Because maybe, maybe, like Esther, God wants to position you in this life for such a time as this. 
And here's the next thing we're going to ask you to do. The next thing, not only will you plan your plot, this life story, but secondly, will you then plot your plan? Will you develop your plan? We're going to ask you, talk to God about this. Discover the steps that you need to take with God's help to get you into that plot that he has for your life. Will you plot, develop your plan? Talk with God and discover what these next steps need to be for this plan that he has for you, this story that he has for you to become a reality. So pray. And again, I say the same thing. If you must, fast. But with God's help, ask the wise question, which is this, to help you develop, to plot that plan Here's the question, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do right now, this moment, at this time? And like Esther, when your God-given purpose and your God-given dreams are as big as God has planned them to be, you will, with your life, you will be all in. It's not just you're going to dabble in this plan that God has for you, this plot that he has for you. You will be, and you must be, all in. No matter how much of yourself that will cost. And I, I'm going to give you a heads up here. It will cost all of you to be all in. And so we're going to ask you, will you do that this week? And then will you come back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock as we're going to break this down even a little further in one very specific area of your life this week? Will you plan your plot, the story of your life, with God's help? And secondly, will you plot a plan? Will you develop a plan with God's help? Let's pray and talk to God our Father right now. God, our Father, we are in the perfect time and life and the perfect opportunity right now for you, God, to help us plan our plot and for you to help us to plot our plan. God, many of us find ourselves with more time at home right now. Not everyone, but many do. And may we eliminate the distractions of the noise of this constant chatter of COVID-19. And may we put down Facebook and may we put down our tablets and slide our phones to the side. And may we spend time with you, God, our God, planning our plot, the story of our lives, discovering what purpose you have for each and every one of us. And God, we ask that in these days at home, in this isolation that may hopefully be quickly coming to an end, but may we, with your divine help, may we plot our plan by asking in light of my future hopes and dreams, Father, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? And we ask, Jesus, that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard. And we would ask Jesus that you give us the courage to do it. In your name we pray these things. Amen.